Hello, everyone. I'm Brian Carrington, and you're listening to Call Talk for April 16, 2014. Today's topic is around the net promoter score. The one number you need to know, is it? Well, we'll find out today. If you're listening live, I'd like to invite you to be a part of the show and ask questions. And there's two easy ways to do it. Probably the most common is to email me at brian at benchmarkportal.com. And that's B-R-I-A-N at benchmarkportal.com. You can also call in live if you're listening or uh, near a phone. Dial 347-857-3117. And make sure to press the 1 on your phone to let me know that you've got a question and want to get on. Again, that number, 347 857 3117. Also want to remind you that all of our shows are archived and available to listen to at any time that's convenient for you at benchmarkportal.com. So with that being said, I'd like to now introduce the host of Call Talk, Bruce Belfiore. Well, thank you very much, Brian, and welcome back to Call Talk, everyone. Today's topic, as Brian mentioned, is, is Net Promoter Score the one number you need to know? Now, Net Promoter Score is defined as a score that comes from the recommendation question in a customer satisfaction survey. So it reads something like, how likely are you to recommend to your friends and family something based on your experience or on your pro- this product uh, or whatever it is that you've actually done with the company? And the scale is a 0 to 10 scale where 0 is extremely unlikely and 10 is extremely likely to recommend. And what you do is you take the 9 and 10, uh, the percentage of those who gave a 9 and 10 on the scale, and subtract those who gave a 0 to 6. So if, for instance, 50% gave a 9 and a 10 and uh, 25% gave a 0 through 6, then your net promoter score would be 25%. Uh, This was all made famous by the book, The Ultimate Question, by Bain consultant uh, Fred Reicheld, who wrote a very famous uh, article in the Harvard Business Review that a lot of people quote even today. Now, this has become the darling of many in the contact center sector, uh, where some people, in fact, feel that it's more significant than customer satisfaction in determining customer loyalty and repurchase probability. And as many of you know, NPS has been joined uh, more recently by CES, or Customer Effort Score, which in fact will be the subject of our June 2014 show next, uh, in a couple of months. So today, however, we have a real treat for you. We've invited a Net Promoter Score iconoclast to chat with us about the research behind NPS and the limitations of Net Promoter Score, Dr. Fred Van Venekamp. Now, Fred has spent a career pondering customer surveys and customer service. Uh, He has authored Customer Surveying, a guidebook for service managers, and he teaches operations management at Northeastern University's Executive MBA program. And he served as an information systems consultant for digital equipment's field service organization uh, before earning his doctorate. He also founded Great Brook, which helps organizations collect and apply customer and employee feedback. And Great Brook conducts workshops all over the world on survey practices, along with advising clients on surveying practices. So uh, he, he, uh, in fact, addressed a uh, conference that I attended last fall. We got to talking about this, and I said, Fred, we have to get you on call talk. 
to uh, explode some myths, but also just understand the limitations and the value of Net Promoter Score. So with that, uh, welcome to Call Talk, Fred. Thank you, Bruce. It's wonderful to be here. Okay, great. Well, you know, first question to you is how did you get into the surveying profession, particularly in the customer service world? Well, it's, it's one of those, uh, you know, strange quirks that many of our, um, our careers follow. Uh, you know, my deep background, as you said in my bio, I worked at Digital Equipment Corporation's field service division way back in the 1980s when digital still existed. Uh, and so I've been doing customer service, customer support service stuff for three decades. Uh, after I got my doctorate, um, I, I, I've been doing teaching, but I also went into consulting. And I got into doing surveying because I found uh, from attending conferences, primarily customer services conferences, that it was an underserved market. So I started doing I started doing talks at conferences about surveying practices and found an awful lot of interest back in the mid to late 90s. Uh, so that's how I got into surveying. And in particular, I wound up at these conferences. I did a workshop teaching people how to run survey programs. And that's, in essence, become my primary business is running a three-day workshop uh, teaching people literally around the world how to run survey programs. That's kind of my unique offering. But one of these little quirky uh, you know, career paths that so many of us follow. Yeah, no, a very interesting one, too, and one that you do well. And uh, as I said, I saw you at the recent industry uh, function, and, uh, you know, people were kind of saying he has a bit of a reputation for being anti-net promoter score. Uh, and uh, can you just explain that? I think we'll learn a lot about sure. NPS just by uh, your explaining what your thoughts are on it. Sure. Now, th this is kind of funny. I, I don't think of myself as an NPS iconoclast so much as an iconoclast about NPS hype because there's just this huge amount of hype. You even mentioned this in your intro, a huge amount of hype around NPS to the point where it's almost like a religious furor. People, uh, uh, you know, clam on climb onto this NPS thing and think it's the greatest thing that's ever come into the customer service world. Uh, and I just, you know, I just say, let's step back, let's look what it is, let's look at the argument behind it, and does it make sense for your company? People are just saying, well, this one study has proven that the net promoter score is the best indicator of loyalty. And I say, well, let's step back and ask the question whether that's true for every company, including yours, and whether there might be a better way to determine who is likely to be a loyal customer based upon your experiences today? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, if you could explain that more fully, you know, what is sure. the statistic and, uh, you know, what is it that uh, people should be looking for? Sure. So, you know, there are two sources of hype when we talk about NPS. One is this net scoring statistic, which you defined for us a moment ago, and second is this argument about NPS being the single best predictor of customer loyalty. Now, you know, trying to describe statistics in front of, in front of a class with a chalkboard is enough of a challenge. Here we're doing it uh, just over an audio line, so that makes it even more challenging. <laughs> Basically, you know, when you take a, a, a survey data or any data set, there are different statistics we can calculate from it. The classic one we calculate is the mean or the average. Sum up all the scores and divide by the number of scores, and that's our average. Reichelt instead went to this thing called net scoring. 
uh, and there are some reasons he did this, and I'll get into those, but basically your definition is right. What we do is, what net scoring does, it says, let's look at the percentage of people who give the scores at the top end of the distribution and subtract from it the percentage of people at the bottom end of the distribution. So within the industry for oh, at least two decades, people have talked about top box and bottom box scores. I personally don't like those terms because I don't think they're a good description of what they actually measure. It's the percentage of people who gave us scores in the top end versus the bottom end of the distribution. That's been around for a while. And what the net scoring statistic says is, well, let's get away from having these two numbers, top and bottom box, and let's subtract the bottom box from the top box to come up with one number, the net scoring statistic. And I think it's generated hype because you hear this, Ooh, net promoter score, and something about taking a net score gives it what my statistics professor in college called it, an ooh factor. You know, you say net <laughs> boring. Wow, that must be really slick. No, it's just another statistic to measure a distribution. And what, the reason why Reichheld pushes this in part is that it's sensitive to uh, the low end of the distribution. The problem with just looking at mean scores is you lose visibility to the distribution to the, from the high end to the low end. And if we want to try to improve customer satisfaction or any type of customer metric, the way you do it, the way you move the mean higher is by attacking the low end of the distribution. Find out who it is that gave you low scores and work on bringing them up. That's how we move the mean score higher. And the value of the net promoter score in terms of a calculation is that it, the impact of those people at the bottom end is reflected in that score. Mm. Okay. So, that, no, that, distribu that distribution uh, concept, I think, is, is lost on a lot of people and is extremely important. Uh, I think the one part, part where people who are listening probably say, I do get it and have gotten it, is you know, when we find somebody at the bottom end of our satisfaction score or any kind of score, we try to recoup them, find out what it is that we were doing wrong. But, uh, you know, back to NPS here. But I think that, that distribution is, is something that we oftentimes uh, don't look at enough, and there's a lot of pearls in that bottom end. Correct. Uh, the one weird thing about it, and, you know, maybe at the end when we have time we can talk about it here, if you look at the calculation of the net promoter score, it's got these two huge threshold effects from a 6 to a 7 and an 8 to a an eight to a nine. If you move somebody from a one to a two or a three to a four, it doesn't change the score. The real value is getting people up to the seven uh, to get them neutral, the seven or eight being passive or neutral, and then hopefully bringing them beyond the eight. So that's the one thing about the NPS is it has these threshold effects and the scores can swing wildly as a result of it. Mm. Wow. Okay. Important thing to know there too. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, and uh, now, how about the loyalty prediction? Sure. I mean, I think in a minute we'll get into the um, you know general versus transactional, but sure. uh, which I think is key for people in this audience listening. But yeah, tell us about the loyalty prediction argument for NPS before we do that. Sure. Uh, yeah, and, and that was the whole basis for this was what Reichel did. And if you go back to his the original article that you mentioned, the uh, December 2003 edition of the Harvard Business Review, the article was titled "The One Number You Need to Grow," and that's where he first presented this idea. Um, and of course, in the book's ultimate question, he discusses the, the it there as well. Um, it came about 
from a multi-stage study that Fred Reichel did with people at Setmetrics. And Fred Reichelt is on the board of directors at Setmetrics, so no, no surprise that they collaborated on this. Uh, what they were doing was trying to identify which survey question was the best predictor of future customer loyalty. And they did this multi-stage uh, process where first they did a survey with a whole bunch of people. I don't know how they got the names exactly. And they tried to see which survey question satisfaction, recommendation, likelihood of future purchase, whatever it was, which one correlated best to what they said was their likelihood to buy again in the future, which would result in loyal, which is sort of the definition of loyal behavior. And what they found was that the recommendation question correlated best with that loyalty question. They then did a second stage of the study, which is what gives it more credibility in my mind. They got they, they, they looked at surveys for literally thousands of people across multiple industries and looked at those people's propensity to then buy again in the future. Uh, and that's where this comes into play. And ultimately what they, predict, what they were able to find in the end was that the surveys where people gave high net promoter score, scores on their, their surveys predicted industry profitability three years hence. So they found, in a nutshell, they found that the net promoter score was the best predictor of future industry profitability. And thus what, you know, the title of the article was the one number you need to grow. Reichel's argument is that if we can get more people, make people so happy with us, whatever that means, so that they give us high scores on the recommendation question, then we are more likely to be a, pr a profitable company. So if we can find customers, identify customers through the recommendation question who say they're not likely to recommend us, then that's an indication that we have some work to do as a company. And mm -hmm. we need to okay. correct those issues. And is this in all cases, or uh, are there some cases or some kinds of companies where this doesn't work as well? Well, this is an interesting issue. You know, there are lots of shortcomings with the net promoter score that have been written about. You know, if you Google net promoter score criticism or critiques, you'll find uh, page after page uh, of articles on this. Reichelt himself says that NPS works best in business-to-consumer, so-called B2C companies, than it does in B2B, business-to-business companies. And if we think about it, it makes some sense that it wouldn't work as well in B2B. And this is because we have uh, confounding factors in play. If you ask somebody, how likely are you to recommend our company uh, to a friend or a colleague, somebody, some people would say, I can't make recommendations because if I do, my company would fire me. And in mm -hmm. fact, government employees cannot make recommendations for the fear of kickbacks. And that applies mm -hmm. equally in business. So what Reichheld himself says is that NPS does not work in, as well in a business-to-business -business setting because of this other effect of the business restrictions, but it works better in consumer-based industries. Got you. Okay. Well, I think that's important because in the consumer-based industries, what we're really saying is that it's more free of constraints. It's more of a free market, as you, if you will, and people can actually follow their desires rather than having to fit into the strictures of uh, bureaucratic, uh, you know, requirements. But uh, but for B two C companies, the research seems conclusive, right? That's pretty. Uh, that's, uh, that's certainly a plus, right? 
Well, if you listen to Reichelt, it's conclusive. Or actually, in his last book, The Ultimate Question 2, he kind of even says, well, so what if it isn't conclusive? But here's the the real issue, and this is maybe why I'm an NPS iconoclast. I do come with a researcher's training because, you know, I I went through a research doctorate, and I still do some research today. Um, But if you're trained in that world, one of the key things is what we call reliability or replicability. Because one person does a study that finds X doesn't mean it's true. It's when somebody else is able to replicate those findings through their own research study, study, trying to replicate what the other person did, maybe using a different data set, whatever it is. If multiple people come up with the same answers, the same conclusions, then we can give it two thumbs up. But that's not the case here. There are several academic articles out there where people have tried to replicate Reichelt. By the way, Reichelt and Satmetrics have never made their database available to others to investigate, which you know makes you kind of wonder a little. But um, the the other people have tried to replicate the study and they have not found it. In fact, one that used the American Customer Satisfaction Institute database out at the University of Michigan you know, an organization that's been doing this for years, they found the satisfaction question was a better predictor of customer loyalty. So it's not clear cut. And again, this is why I'm a bit of an iconoclast that says, no, don't just, I I know the, the NPS Bible says that thou shalt pray to the God of NPS, but uh, maybe there's more than one God out there that we should be praying to. And I don't mean to offend anybody with that phrase. It does seem <laughs> but to you, be when, it, when, when it comes to customer satisfaction and customer loyalty, you're basically a polytheist, right? That's the... Polytheist. Wow. Wow. I love it. I love big words. You, you are a sesquipedalian, quite obviously. <laughs> okay. Well, good. Well, let, let's uh, focus on something that I think is really important to this audience, and that is... Okay, you've got um, the net promoter score, and I think we can all see that in a B to C context, even if all the statistics aren't absolutely lined up, still there can be a lot of value in asking people uh, about their uh, loyalty to the company, right, and uh, based on their overall experience with the company and its products. Uh, although there's an awful lot of, um, you know, subtlety in there, and I'm, I'm definitely uh, sort of making a big question just to, to sort of set it up, set up the next question, which is, but then on a transactional basis, which is the base this that most of us are interested in. In other words, how good is our service in our call centers, in our contact centers, and how much of an impact is that service going to have on customer loyalty and repurchase probability. Um, in other words, where the question is something, you know, like uh, how likely are you to repurchase or to be loyal based on that telephone call you just had instead of on your overall experience with the company and its products. Um, that's really an area where there's a lot of controversy, and you have been sort of key in bringing that to the fore. So could you talk about that for our our listeners? Because I think that's very important. I think a lot of the people end up in uh, conference rooms with their colleagues, a little bit bullied by uh, this NPS thing. And and without the resources and the, uh, you know, the the fact that that they haven't been able to study it the way you have. 
Sure. Um, so the basic issue is there are broadly two different types of surveying surveys that go out, One, and they're typically called relationship surveys versus transactional surveys. The relationship survey is done typically annually, but not necessarily. It's sometimes called a periodic survey because we're doing the same survey on a periodic basis. So let's just think of this as the annual customer satisfaction survey. And that is typically a fairly high-level survey. You know, overall, how did we do for you in the past year? What were your concerns? What should we do, be looking at going forward? So it's looking at the relationship at a fairly high level. And Reichelt and others argue that that's where NPS belongs. The, the net promoter question, the recommendation question, if we're looking at it from a loyalty uh, indicator perspective, really belongs in that relationship survey. But it's, what's odd to me is when he says that is if you go back to what started him thinking about this at all, it was basically a transactional survey from Enterprise Rental Car. And mm. this is where I still haven't – I, as many times as I've read his books and things, I still can't know where exactly he's going with this. The transactional survey, as I think everybody listening to this knows, is a survey that we do immediately after the close of a transaction with a customer, and it's basically a quality control check. You know, how did we do? What was wrong? Let's identify problems so we can fix them now in near real time and not wait till the annual survey that could be nine months out. And people say, no, we shouldn't be doing the NPS question which is the way it's viewed now, the recommendation question, on a transactional basis because it can vary too much. It's not based on transaction. It's based on the overall relationship. Well, uh, that, that issue seems a little weird to me because, again, the idea is to identify in a transactional survey, what we really want to do is identify customers who are in need of a service recovery event so we can fix them and then identify problems in our processes and engage in some root cause analysis uh, and resolution so we can fix the problem overall. Well, uh, can't the NPS question be used for that? Sure, it can be. But in my mind, the critical thing is the wording of the question. And you actually kind of touched on this. I don't know whether purposely or not uh, earlier on when you defined it. If you want a transactional survey, just say, uh, how likely are you to recommend our company to a friend or colleague, period? The respondent is going to be thinking, well, how likely would, would I recommend? Hmm, do I make the recommendation based upon this experience that just ended? Hmm, or is it based upon my overall views and relationship with the company? Hmm, well, those are different. And the fact is one of the things as a survey designer, as a question writer, you want to do is you don't want to introduce ambiguity into the question. So in my mind, in a transactional survey, the critical thing is to reduce the, the ambiguity and, and give everybody the same benchmark. So the question should be worded with an introductory clause. Based upon this most recent experience, how likely would you be to recommend? That uh -huh. way, you, you're not giving two different questions. Right. No, absolutely key. Absolutely key. And I think we all have to be realistic to know that there are going to be some situations in which the overall relationship or some uh, prior irritation is going to, you know, willingly or not, uh, end up uh, having an impact on the score that somebody gives. But, um, yeah, I think that's just key for us to be able to know and be able to talk about internally 
when uh, we're talking to our higher-ups about net promoter score and its use or improper use, uh, its proper improper use in, in the uh, surveys that we, we, uh, we give to our customers. Um, have you seen any situations where there's been egregious misuse of NPS? How much time do we have? Uh, (laughs) Okay, we'll be here tomorrow talking about them. (laughs) I'll give you two examples, and one of it comes from a misunderstanding of statistics, quite honestly. I had somebody in in a workshop of mine last year, and they were doing internal NPS. That's how bad this has gotten the hype, is that now we're doing internal NPS, measuring, asking the recommendation question of people who we work for or do services for within a company. And they were calculating net promoter scores based on four surveys, Mm. four data points. Now, you talk about numbers fluctuating wildly. You could go from a net P, you could get an NPS score of plus 100 one year and wind up at minus 100 the next year based upon four data points shifting from nines to sixes. Mm. Just ridiculous. Uh, and, And I've heard this, by the way, in just general surveys with people, agents being put on notice based upon a literally a handful of surveys. So that's number one. The other thing that has happened with this is the idea of the NPS question, or any surveys, is to identify problems so we can fix them. People fix the customer and fix the problem. But inevitably, <laughs> the thing gets used as a performance measurement tool. And we all know that. Anybody listening to this, if, you're not, if, if it's not being used as a performance measurement tool, my guess is you're, you're not being honest with yourself. And basic, this is a basic organizational behavior problem that I dealt with back when I worked for digital in the 1980s. If you use a reporting system for performance measurement, people are going to try to make the number better. Duh. Of course they're going to. Are they going to make the number better by improving the underlying thing being measured, or are they going to try to massage the data? Well, you'll get some of both. And that's what we see happening with Net Promoter. We see it being used for performance measurement and so that it's being corrupted. And, in fact, you know, we talked about this way back a couple of months ago, and I mentioned car dealerships. Quite literally, mm-hmm. I, was at my, I had my car in for my 60,000-mile checkup, last one before the warranty ended, uh, and I got a phone call uh, yesterday, Monday, uh, from somebody at the dealership saying, I was going to be getting a survey from Subaru. If you can't give us tens to all those questions, please call us before you take the survey. Mm. <laughs> and, oh, boy. Do, do you think that that may skew the results a little bit, Fred? Well, number one is they're playing on you a bit, and we know that purpose. But there's another issue here, which is, okay, you know, they want to get tense. And I understand that, and maybe it's good. You could argue, hey, that's great. If you've got a problem, they're saying, please call me. But they're not saying if you have a problem, please call me. They're saying if you can't give us tense. Um, Uh and, And as a teacher... You know, the analogy I make, as a university professor, I'll get a student come up to me uh, the last week of the semester, and these are graduate students, and they'll say, my company won't reimburse me for the the course unless I get at least a B plus. And I'll look at them and I'll say, so? I say, well, you know, what do, you, do you think I'll get a B plus? And I'll say, well, your work is at a B plus level. Well, what can I do? And I say, well, isn't it a little bit late to be asking me? <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, it literally becomes almost comical. I just play with them because it's like, 
a little bit late here, aren't we? Well, asking to get tens, just it yes. feels wrong. And beyond that, yeah. if there really is a core problem, it's never going to get to the head office. Right, right. Yeah, no, I, I mean, uh, what is it uh, they say on the ad? Love, it's what makes a Subaru a Subaru. In this case, it's 10. That's what makes a Subaru a Subaru. <laughs> well, I don't know, maybe uh, it could be. But you also see this when you buy a car, the car salesman. You know, yeah. please, I've actually been given a photocopy of the survey I'm going to get with the 10s filled out. Yeah. Well, you know, I'd like to just uh, stick in a plea here, too, because uh, we see over and over again the fact that um, scores, uh, whether they're CSAT scores or NPS scores, um, are oftentimes misused. And when call center managers uh, have brought to their attention the fact that they are uh, evaluating their agents on a sample that's much, much too small, uh, you can see the red faces and, and really the sort of the embarrassment that comes out. If you're going to use these surveys for coaching purposes, because right. they have a pearl in them that can help out in terms of uh, improving performance or bringing a, a defect to the attention of the agent, then that's fine. But if you don't have a statistically valid sample, you should not be using these for performance evaluation purposes. And, um, you know, absolutely, whether it's NPS or it's CSAT, really, really a very important point that you're making and, and oh, um, yeah. I think important for our, our audience. Yeah. Hallelujah. So, hallelujah. Exactly. Okay. Well, uh, this has been great. I, I, we actually are getting to the end of our half hour here, and uh, I would like to allow uh, Brian to ask at least one question from our uh, audience, though, so we'll keep it going for a few more minutes, if that's okay, Fred. Fine with me. Okay. All right, great. Thanks, guys. Um, I've got two emails that came in. Uh, the first one's from Cindy, and Cindy is asking, what do you think the risks are from doing cross-company comparisons, or are there? Uh, yeah, th this, is a, this is another problem with the hype, and I, I actually did a uh, uh, wrote a, an academic paper, first one I wrote in years, looking at the, th the impact of phone versus web, web surveys, and in particular looking at the impact upon uh, net promoter scores. And at the end of that survey, I, I bring up some of these issues, or at the end of that article, I bring up some of those issues about cross-company comparisons. And a practitioner version of the article is up on my website, greatbrook.com. I want to be sure it's Great Brook and not Great Book. Uh, that's a common problem. Here's the issue. There's published data about net promoter scores out there, and I've found companies, including some clients of mine, who want to compare their scores to these industry scores. And they act like surveys are some laboratory experiment where we're controlling all of these different factors. The truth is that there are a whole host, 10, 20 different things that can affect our survey scores. The wording of the question, the placement of the question in the survey, the scale length, the anchors used. Um, I, I could go on and on, whether it's done by phone or web. There's a whole host of things that will, will affect the scores we get. And so the danger is if you try to compare your scores to published scores that are you know, industry averages, they, it's like comparing, it, 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 at best it's comparing Macintosh uh, to Cortland apples. It's not an apples to apples. You're certainly not a Mac to Mac comparison. Maybe it's a Mac to Cortland, but it could even be as broad as 
you know, comparing apples to oranges or worse, apples to granite. And in that study I did, I looked at the difference between phone and web. This was, I got data from a company that does the identical survey using the NPS question, does it both by phone and by web. Here's the difference in the NPS scores between the two survey admin modes. The uh, net promoter score for the phone surveys was 59%. For the web-based surveys, it was 18% literally a 40-point a swing in net promoter score purely because of the mode in which the surveys were done. So, you know, caveat emptor here, folks. Uh, cross, the best benchmark, that uh, interesting benchmark portal here, the best benchmark is, is against your past performance. If you're going to benchmark it against an industry comparison, it should be the identical survey with the identical admin procedures. Mm-hmm. Good advice. Good advice. Yeah, very good. Okay, well, Brian, I think we've got room for one more question. I'd like to, to do that if possible. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, the, uh, the second one is from Henry, and uh, Henry's asking, since uh, net prom I had the same question, actually. Since net promoter score is looking at a customer's intent to recommend, why is it not called net recommendation score? This is one of my issues with it, too, and maybe this has to do – this is all part of the hype, the uh, the marketing aspect of NPS, is the question is like, – like Henry said, the question is about your likelihood to recommend, not your likelihood to promote. And I think if you talk to anybody in marketing or even, uh, you know, uh, psychological sciences, there's a behavioral difference between recommending and promoting recommending, you, you make a recommendation when somebody asks you for a recommendation. Promotion is, you know, over the top, I'm going to go out and promote this. So it's not done in response to a request, it's overt promotion. Uh, why did he call it net promoter score versus net recommender score? I think it's just that net promoter has more of the ooh factor, as I said earlier. Uh, net recommender score doesn't sound very sexy, so. I, but it's it's to me it's mislabeling. It's it's a little bit of a you know, misconstruing what it's saying. So I agree with mm. Henry. Okay, Henry, way to go! <laughs> Thanks. No, I think that's a great insight on that one as well. So um, we've gone past our half hour, but I think it's been uh, the extra time very very well spent. And Fred, uh, it's really a pleasure always to talk to you, and uh, I think we really brought forth some important points that can be of use to, to our audience with regard to this net promoter score issue. And uh, I'm really looking forward to the CES, the uh, Customer Effort Score uh, discussion that we're going to be having in the June 2014 um, call talk. And uh, thank you very, very much for your time and for your insights. And with that, I'll, is there anything else you'd like to say before we hand it over to Brian, uh, Fred? Uh, do we want to tease the customer effort score discussion? <laughs> sure. I'll, put out, a, I'll yeah. put out a brief teaser. The, the yes. quality of the research and the net promoter score makes is just head and shoulders better than the quality of the research behind the customer effort score. So mm -hmm. there's my teaser. Okay, good. So we're already shooting at the knees of uh, CES. That's good. Yep. Uh, you know, this, uh, Fred, as I, I've mentioned to you before, Call Talk is a bit of a reputation for throwing Molotov cocktails and uh, trying to get people to really think about 
things that sometimes are uh, given as gospel in, in our industry. And, and that's so that we can progress, so that we can really um, see through and see uh, forward on things. So uh, looking forward to that very much. Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you. Back over All to right. Brian. Thanks, Bruce. And, uh, of course, thanks once again, Fred, for joining us uh, on this edition of Call Talk. And we look forward to the, the next one in two months around CES. Uh, also want to remind everyone not to forget to uh, sign up for a free Reality Check Benchmark report to see how your contact center compares to others in the industry, as well as, uh, of course, getting good benchmarks on performance. So from all of us here at Benchmark Portal, keep those headsets steady and your fingers, of course, ready. This is Brian Carrington signing out for Call Talk. Have a great day. And that's a wrap. Take care.